God's Word, we will be looking in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. This is God's Word. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, for truth, and we would pray that you would speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. May we learn and digest that all might hear and see Christ Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. It's become more popular, uh, especially since the pandemic, to talk both for and even against faith and fear. Faith over fear. Is it you need to have more faith when you're afraid? Some have even suggested you can't. There's mental health challenges that prevent you. Anxiety is a real thing, and you are unable to have faith. Those medically trained would profess to say mental health is a real challenge. It's a real problem. It obstructs faith. Those theologically at times would say, no, you need to have faith. My observation is I think both are starting from a wrong foundation. They're both looking at this idea of faith and fear, and they're looking at it in light of their present circumstance. They're saying, you need to have more faith now. You need to muster this up. But you see, faith isn't called upon, it's cultivated. Faith is not a light switch. You don't just flip it on when you need it and turn it off when you don't. Growth in faith is often slow. Steady, monotonous, it has its focus on simple things. Rather than waiting till the very moment in which you need it, it is saying, Christian, you don't focus on a moment. You focus on a walk. We walk by faith. And that's what we're looking at this morning. It's a series we've been in, Walking by Faith, and we're looking at different men and women when we look in Hebrews 11, and that's what we're doing with Moses. What does it look like to walk by faith? How do you have faith that overcomes fear, fear of man? And it's not so much a situational faith, it's a life built upon faith. And so when we look at Moses, I want, to, I want you to see three things. First, we need to parent in faith. Secondly, what are priorities of faith? And then last, the pearl of faith. Well, look with me in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. Last week, if you were with us, Pastor Joel preached on uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. When we read verse 23 and it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, we, we have to understand something. Some time has passed from Joseph to Moses, 
That is Exodus chapter 1. What you would learn in that context is, well, Joseph and all of his brothers and all of that generation has died. That's Exodus 1 verse 6. But in their death, what you have experienced as a Hebrew is great multiplication. In fact, uh, verse 7 says they multiplied greatly. They grew exceedingly strong. And what you learn is a new king, a new pharaoh has risen or arose into power. Whether that's a, a new dynasty or it's a conquering king, we don't know. But what we do know is there is a new king, a, a new sheriff in town, and he does not know Joseph. That is what Moses tells us in Exodus chapter 1. And so what happens is this new Pharaoh, well, he's not, he's not a big fan of the Hebrews, as you would read. He's afraid. He's insecure. And so when you're reading in Exodus chapter 1, what you learn is he, he has an edict. And it is simply this, go kill all of the male-born children. And he's talking to the midwives. And he's saying for every male child, they need to be put to death. Well, the Hebrew midwives, as you know the story, disobeyed. They did not follow the way of the world, but of their God. And in fact, they said the Hebrew women are strong. They, they deliver these children before we could get there. And so Pharaoh's plan is not gone so successfully. And then you enter into Exodus chapter 2, and a new edict has come out. And he's saying, okay. Not only do I want you to kill them when they are born, but if they make it, I want you to take them, and I want you to throw them into the river. This is the context of what we're reading about in Hebrews chapter 11 with Moses in verse 23, when it says, when he was born. This is not the faith of Moses. This is the faith of Moses' parents. This is what we're to understand. It's a period of Moses' birth that is well, it's extremely difficult. It's very hard. It's challenging. It's scary. You might even say fearful. Some might argue one of the most challenging in all of redemptive history. But what happens? At that moment, what happens? Well, Moses' parents act in faith, don't they? And that should deeply encourage us. Because what do we see? God can raise godly children in the most ungodly of times. He can do great things without great circumstances. Christian, that's not unique to you, is it? If you knew your Bible well, you understand that this is part of God's pattern in redemptive history. If you read the birth narrative of Moses carefully, it perhaps even draws your attention to another child that was born, born under such times when male children were to be killed, a king threatened by the people of God, making an edict of killing children. And then there were two parents who disobeyed that very law, saved their child. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's the Son of God, the Word incarnate coming into this world. Or consider this, July 10th, 1509. There's two parents, Gerard and Jean. They 
I have a son. They name him John. John grows up in France. And as a young boy, he's under the authority of Francis I. Francis I does not like Protestant Christians. In fact, he persecutes them. The only time in which Francis I is cordial to any Protestant is as it has dealings with international policies. He would be cordial towards them as they could seek to grow Protestantism in Germany, get it out of France, but go to Germany. So as long as it would fit within his international economic policies, then he was in favor of Protestants. But if it had to do with France, he didn't like them. He often persecuted them. This is John's childhood, and as he's growing up, there's going to be a wedding in which these Protestants are invited to. And if you know your history as these Protestants show up to this wedding, they're brutally massacred, mutilated, just because they are Protestant Christians. That's John Calvin. That is his childhood. That is how he grew in faith, perhaps one of the church's greatest theologians since the apostolic fathers. What's the point? You might say the darker the hour, the brighter the light of God shining forth through His people. This is what we see in Moses. It's a dark hour. The people of God are many, but they are enslaved. And so when we look at our world, we can see much opposition, parents, can't we? Whether politically, socially, perhaps educationally, militantly, but nonetheless, parents, you have hope and you have confidence because there's one who rules above the kings of this world, and this is Moses when he is born. His parents have faith. They model their faith before him. Isn't that what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 says? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. What do his parents do? Well, they disobey the world to obey God. They risk their lives and even the life of their child to obey the Lord. And he goes... He goes on and tells us, the writer to Hebrews, he tells us why. Was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, lest you think they're just some ordinary parents who have a child, and as every parent says to their newborn baby, it's beautiful. That's not what's happening here. That is not the same kind of beautiful. How are we to understand what he's saying? Well, Stephen in Acts chapter 7 actually shines a little bit of light on this. When we read that it is beautiful, Acts chapter 7 will tell you, no, the child was beautiful in the sight of God. It wasn't some kind of outward appearance that made this child look unique or beautiful. There was something internally. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now, are we to understand or believe that Moses' parents knew something of the future? Perhaps. We don't know, but what we do know is they trusted their child with God. They trusted the circumstances in the hands of the Lord. They had faith that overcame fear, fear of a man. 
And you see, they needed something more than just what you and I often have when we have children. They needed more than just a, I love my baby. We're not questioning whether or not they love their baby. But you understand, just your love and your affection for baby, that would only increase your fear, not your faith. Having a love and affectionate for your child only helps you become more afraid of what the culture is like. It doesn't necessarily increase your faith. And so what we're to understand is these parents recognized there was an earthly king. But they needed faith in a heavenly king that would rule and reign over even the policies and the laws of the earthly king. And so what do we understand with this kind of faith? Well, I would simply tell you, faith regulates affection. Faith regulates affection. It is faith before circumstances that allows you to be patient in that moment. It is faith that calms or chases away the gloom. It's faith that brings peace and joy. It's faith that perhaps even lowers the physical fear and provides courage. But it's faith prior to, not faith in. And that's what we're seeing in the pattern of Moses' parents. And so what do we read? They have their child. They hide him for three months. And then you know the story. They put him in a basket. They put him in the Nile, entrusting his very life in the hands of God. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him, loves him. And then ask for Moses' biological mother to raise him. You see how God honors such faith on the tax dollars of the Egyptians. Are they raising the next deliverer of Israel? Children, youth, let me say something to you for a moment. You need to be very thankful for your parents. When you grow up in a home that tells you the eternal and foundational truths of God, you have no idea how good you have it. As they are parenting you in faith, you must be grateful for their lives and look after them. Model your life as they would seek to model Christ Jesus. Parents, let me encourage you again. What else can we see from Moses' parents that help you understand your children and the times they're in? Look at verse 24. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up. Now, we have Acts chapter 7 to help us understand that he's roughly 40 years old. What happens in that time period of three months to 40 years of age? Well, one thing we know is certain. Moses had to come to a saving knowledge and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It couldn't be the faith of his parents. That's not enough. And we have talked about that over and over. He had to put his trust. He had to repent of his sin and put his faith in God. It's not a suggestion. It's a requirement. But it's an encouragement, parents. Because what we read is when he was grown up. If you're looking at your little children and you're wondering... Why have they not put their faith in Christ? You're not in charge of that. And we have this great picture. We don't know when Moses came to a saving knowledge. What we do know is how he grew up. And I want you to understand the times. 
Moses didn't go to some Israelite Christian school. He was in the public school system, you might say. He probably had classes in what are our gods, the Egyptian gods? How do we worship? Perhaps even who are these Israelites and how do you deal with them? Acts chapter 7 is going to tell you that he was trained and learned in all the wisdom of Egypt. Yet, when he was grown up, even that training in the public school system was not strong enough to change the heart of Moses. For he had a greater faith. He had a greater influence, you might say. And it was called mom and dad. Why do I tell you that? Because it doesn't matter where you send your children to school. You have a responsibility at home. Do not send your children to school entrusting them that they are meant to learn all of the Christian things at a Christian school. No, you as mom and dad, you have a responsibility to care, disciple, as we just heard prayed for, your children in the ways of the Lord. There's a prominent pastor, uh, maybe a year ago or so, has just retired. He talks about how he raised his children in an inner city, uh, major inner city public school system. And I always appreciate how he talks about it. He talks about parenting with the first and the final word. His and his wife's goal was, we want to have the first word with our children on every matter there is to be known, whether that's certain habits, gender, sexuality, science, all of it, We want to have the first word with our children, but we also want to have the final word. We want them to know who they are and whose they are as they go to school. And when they come home from school, we want to remind them of who they are and whose they are. It's an encouragement when we look at the life of Moses and his parents that we too would parent in faith. It's not a perfect faith. It's a present faith that says we trust in the Lord It's not just parenting and faith. We also see priorities of faith. We see as Moses grows up, there seems to be two specific priorities of faith. Maybe we could simply say it this way. He says no, and he says yes. Very simple priorities. He says no, and he says yes. When you look at Moses' life, some would consider him to be next in line for the throne. He could be the next Pharaoh, you might say. He has all the riches, all the fame and fortune, the the treasures, the pleasures, the power, the royalty. And yet, what do we read in verse 24? By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What comes before Moses is what we like to call an identity crisis. He's being faced with, who am I? Or whose am I? Am I going to identify with the world? Or am I going to identify with God? What a hard choice. Just pause and think about that for a moment. What a hard choice. Here is Moses. You couldn't be in a higher place in the land. Arguably, you couldn't have a higher title than Pharaoh himself. He has anything and everything he could ever want, wish for. People wait on him hand and foot. And he could be saying to himself, 
I can influence people for the gospel. I'm in a powerful place. I have a powerful position. If I would just kind of be quiet just a little bit, if I would just temper myself and my faith just a tad, what an influence I could have on all of Egypt for the gospel. Who would blame him for saying that? Sounds like a very rational way of thinking, you might say. Moses isn't being kicked out. He's not being cast out. He's voluntarily saying, no. No. I do not want this. This is not a, you can't fire me, I quit kind of thing. He says, I don't want it. I do not want to be known as Pharaoh's son. I do not want the wealth and the treasures that this land might provide. Where do you see this? That that is the story. You know it well. It's a famous children's story. Where and how is he saying no? There's an altercation. A, A Hebrew. He's being beaten by a couple of Egyptians. And what do we understand Moses to do? He's looking around. Is anyone going to help? And so he intercedes and kills the Egyptian. The next day, there are two Hebrews fighting, and he gets involved. And then they challenge him. Are you going to kill me too? Is that why you're saying no? Is Moses simply showing his fan support? Is he being patriotic? Is he standing up for social injustice? No, he's doing all of this by faith. That's what we are told. He gets involved because of faith. It is done and lived by faith. You might be saying, well, what about Joseph? Why does Moses need to leave and Joseph gets to stay? They're similar pictures, aren't they? They both have high positions in the land, but they're different circumstances, aren't they? Joseph is being groomed, as it were, because God is trying to save his people by feeding them. And as the famine is coming, he recognizes that to complete this mission, it's going to need the land of Egypt to do so. And so he raises Joseph to a a power, a position that allows to provide and feed for the people. But Moses isn't being called upon to feed people. He's being called upon to lead people. And he's being called upon to lead them out of Egypt. Egypt in which Pharaoh was favorable is now an enemy of. And so Moses says, there can be no compromise of faith that is no good for the kingdom of God. I will relinquish my position. And so he says, no. He refuses. But then he says yes, or he chooses. And that order is significant, and we don't want to miss it. We must be willing to stop doing evil before we try and do what is right. We must turn from sin before we can turn to the Savior. Or the New Testament example, a prodigal son must recognize where he is and the life he is living And that he does not want it before he can return home to the Father. There is a refusal of this world to say yes to God. We must say no 
before we say yes. And as Moses says yes, what is he saying yes to? Did you read what he is choosing? He refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing rather to be, to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What is he saying yes to? He's saying yes to persecution over sin. He is saying no to prestige and royalty, no to palace, no to fame, no to pleasures. But the question is why? Why say no to all that? And he tells you, doesn't he? Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy what? The fleeting pleasures of sin. It's fleeting. It's momentary. It's here and it's gone. It's temporary. And Moses says, I don't live for that. I live for something far greater, something more substantial, something eternal. Now, when you look at Moses' life, is it saying to you and to me, well, then change your job. Change your job. Go overseas and, and do this ministry. Help people see Christ. I don't think that's what we're to learn when we look at Moses' life. What we are to learn is how do we carefully consider the future? How do we carefully consider our decisions that impact the future? Do you remember faith is not called on, it's cultivated. And so how do we cultivate a faith like what we see with Moses? We do it in the simple things. And I do mean simple. It means saying no to the snooze button for 10 minutes and saying, yes, I will, I'll read my Bible. I'll read and pray. It's saying, I know that it's cold and it's rainy. I will get in my car and come to worship. It's saying, yes, I will pray with the people of God. It's, it's saying yes to the very simple things of life. That is what moment by moment by moment, walking by faith in each and every day, that's what provides the courage in those difficult decisions. Because Moses is saying you cannot have it both ways. This is not a both ends. You cannot have one foot in the palace and one foot with the people of God. This is an either or. And he's saying to you, you cannot make compromises in the Christian life. This morning, I was uh, thinking about the sermon, and as I normally happens, as I'm trying to think and prepare for something, I have a, a little child who always wants my attention. And so uh, our youngest, he, well, he loves to sit in my lap and read books or listen to me read books. And so he brought a book. And he calls it Docker, Docker. My wife has bought for our children these uh, four board books, uh, learning about uh, reformers, old saints, or saints of old. And uh, Liam brought a book about Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's often known as the doctor. He's known as a doctor not because of his training in ministry, He's known as the doctor because he was trained medically. And what he began to wrestle with as I'm reading this little book to Liam, 
It, it goes something like this. It says, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, he wants people to be healthy. He, doctors are important. Helping people's bodies become healthy is a good thing. But then he begins to ask the question, well, who is helping people's souls become healthy? And if you read more of an adult version, what, what is it that you learn about Martin Lloyd-Jones? He got tired of healing people physically to live sinfully. Rather, he decided, what happens if I proclaim spiritual health and let them live eternally? And so as the story goes, he and his wife are out on the town one night. They're dressed in fine clothes. They go to a theater with some other friends in the profession. And they leave and they see this band across the street. The Salvation Army band. There's a street preacher his colleagues are making fun of them. They're looking down upon them, what they're saying, how they look. And as the story goes, old Martin Lloyd-Jones says, those are my people. And he forsook a very wealthy and prestigious position in medical field to become a pastor. Who are your people? Do you want to be someone in the world or do you want to be a servant of God? To be a servant means saying no to the world, refusing, and saying yes, choosing God. Faith doesn't compromise. It counts costs. And that's what you see over and over throughout the history of the church. There's priorities in faith. It's saying no and saying yes. And then lastly, the pearl of faith. We might say uh, faith has a very high price. Look at what we read in verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses considers the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth, than the treasures of Egypt. Reproach of Christ, it's, it's not what you might think. What he is saying, it's a possessive sense. He's not saying Christ was ashamed, Christ was persecuted, Christ was uh, despised. No, I will be despised because of who Christ is. He's saying, as I identify myself with Jesus, I would rather be ashamed in the eyes of the world than live for them. It's not a flippant decision. That's why he says he considers, he weighs he counts the costs. And do you see the scales that he's talking about? He's not saying treasure and treasure. He says the reproach of Christ. I, I want the shame that comes with being a Christian more than I want the wealth of being an Egyptian. Can you imagine those scales? Egypt and all of its wealth. I've never been to Egypt. I've only had to study it in education. Do you remember that famous Pharaoh, King Tut? Do you remember the discovery of his tomb? Its estimated value is $26 million. He has a coffin, roughly $1.7 million, a 22-pound gold mask. That's treasure. And that's just his body in a coffin. 
That's not counting any of the paintings, the, the jewelry and the precious stones around them. There's so much treasure in Egypt. And yet Moses says, I'll take shame. I'll take the reproach of Christ. He looks at the crowns he could receive in Egypt. And instead he says, I'll take the crowns I can give to Christ. And as he recognizes what it will be like to give a crown, he understands there's a cross first. There's a need for a cross. And that's why it says that he doesn't have it. He is looking to the reward, not just a reward, but the reward. What is it that he's talking about? It's not just a salvation thing. It's, it's the entirety of eternal life with God. Do you remember those parables that the Lord Jesus taught on in Matthew chapter 13? There's several of them. But many of them have to do with the kingdom of God is like. The, the kingdom of God is like. And towards the end of chapter 13, you, you read two of them kind of right back to back. There's one that's, well, there's a man. He's, he's in a field. He finds treasure. And then he hides it. And he goes and sells all he has to buy that field. And then right after that, we learn about a merchant looking for pearls. And he sees one of great value. And then he sells everything he has for that one pearl. You see, that merchant is different than that field. You see, one stumbled upon treasure. The other was looking for it. He knew pearls. He was looking for them. And when he saw it, there was nothing that was in comparison to this pearl. It far outweighed everything else. Are you looking for the kingdom of God? As you live your life day by day, are you looking for the kingdom of God? Or do you look for the things of this world? We live by faith, don't we? Not by sight. Moses makes choices in faith, not in what he sees. It's that quote, isn't it, from Jim Elliot. He who, he is no fool who gives up to what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What's the kingdom of God worth to you? Faith overcoming the fear of man. Jesus is saying you need to fear the one, not just the one who has the power over the body, but one who has power of the body and the soul. And that's what we're looking at in Hebrews chapter 11. We've recognized there are people who have come to a justified faith in God. We've got Abel and we have Enoch. And then we get Abraham, who's this picture of what you might call implicit obedience. He is called by God to do something and he does it. And then Moses, what do we learn about saving faith in Moses? There's a decisive decision in the mind to be made. We make conscious, counting, cost decisions for Christ. We turn from sin and we turn to God. One theologian says it this way, It is one thing to talk well about the things of God, but it is quite another to walk accordingly. That's counting the costs. We don't just talk about it. We live it. 
And you might be saying, I'm not Moses. I'm not like him. He's a great man. Maybe. But this isn't a story about a great man and his great faith. This is a story about a great God who sustained a man in faith when he didn't want to do things. You'll learn about some of those next week. It's about a great God. It's the gospel that provides your adequacy, not your abilities. And so we cling to the gospel. We say yes to the Lord Jesus. Is that you this morning? When you listen and hear about Moses, is that you? Do you treasure the things of Christ more than the treasures of this world? If not, I implore you, come to Jesus. That shame is far greater than the fleeting pleasures of this world. If that is you, you say, I know Jesus. I love him. How are you cultivating such a faith? What are your daily activities and priorities that demonstrate to you that you are growing in grace? There's a quote, I'll close with this, from J.C. Ryle. He wrote a book called Holiness, and he describes in it, this is what the pearl of faith is. This is what Moses was looking forward to. Listen to what he says. Marvel not that he refused greatness, riches, and pleasure. He looked far forward. He saw with the eye of faith kingdoms crumbling into dust, Riches making to themselves wings and fleeing away. Pleasures leading on to death and judgment. And Christ only and his little flock enduring forever. He saw with the eye of faith affliction lasting but for a moment. Reproach rolled away and ending in everlasting honor. And the despised people of God reigning as kings with Christ in glory. That's what Moses saw in faith. When you look around, what does your faith see? When you look around the world, what does your faith see? May we be people who parent our children in faith. That we have priorities of saying no to the world and yes to the word. And we look for the great pearl that is the kingdom of God. We live not for today, but for tomorrow, the day in which the Lord Jesus would come and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. God, we thank you not for the great man and great faith of Moses, but for the greatness of you. You who sustained him with great faith. We can easily rationalize how we're not a Moses. But, we, but what we see is that you don't want a Moses, for you only made one of him. But we are each made in your image, and each with the ability to be used by you if we would be available and faithful. Help us then, O Lord, to have our faith in Christ. Let that faith in Christ be what overpowers and overcomes what our fears might be in man.
Those two are incompatible. May we who have children parent them in faith, in the truths of your word. May we be willing to say no to this world and yes to your word. And may we live for the, war, the reward to come, and that is Christ. And all this we make it our prayer, trusting in you, not only to hear us, but to move and work in us that we might live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.